You're listening to a Military Life Media podcast. This week on the podcast, something a little different. I caught up with defence partner Leah, who was a guest on the podcast a few years ago now. Back on episode 29, Leah and I spoke about her quest to find meaningful employment, a long IVF journey, and what happened to their remaining and only frozen embryo when they posted out. On this episode, Leah updates us on the last few years, her final round of IVF with that last embryo, and a heartwarming and amazing decision. Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, informs, and embraces the spouses beside the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever and whenever you want. And with products and services tailored for ADF members and Defence spouses, you'll wonder why you didn't join sooner. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Welcome back to the podcast, Leah. Thank you so much. It's so good to be back and have a chat again. It's so good to catch up with you again. I can't believe it's been three years. Your original episode, episode number 29, so over 100 episodes ago, went live in November 2019. And last we left off, you were posted to and living in Townsville. Where are you posted now? We're actually back in Townsville again, but in between now and then we did have a posting to Toowoomba. So back where we met and where a lot of our supports are and now we're back up here again. Oh, so full circle. Yes. <laughs> you had also spoken about your IVF journey and the long road it took to conceive and give birth to your daughter, Margot. When we spoke three years ago, you had one more viable embryo still frozen and you had decided to leave that frozen embryo in Townsville. What happened? So if we're talking about November 2019, we would have been beginning the process to do our IVF back here in Townsville. We were posted to Toowoomba until the end of 2021. And so we had decided that instead of waiting until we were potentially posted back up here, we would work out all the logistics to travel back to Townsville to do our last round of IVF because even though having two children very close together would be quite chaotic, we were in a posting location where we had good supports and where Rob was in a role where outside of natural disasters and things like that, he should be home quite regularly. It would be chaotic, but we would have the best supports we could, as opposed to Townsville, which can feel a little bit isolated from friends and family and might have been a little bit harder trying to balance a newborn and a toddler whilst being away from everyone. Why had you decided to leave the embryo and I guess travel back and forth? What was happening for you in regard to a lot of people don't have experience with having a frozen embryo? Toll doesn't pack it for you and take it along with you. Like, why was your decision to leave the embryo behind and then travel back? 
When we had posted back to Toowoomba, I was halfway through my pregnancy with Margot. So obviously at that time, we didn't have current plans for the embryos. So it made sense to leave it in Townsville where it was safely frozen and just to keep paying the fees to keep it frozen until such time as we knew how we wanted to proceed. And then once we had made the decision of the timing of when we wanted to use our last embryo, we looked into the options of relocating it to a Toowoomba clinic and using it there versus the costs and logistics of travelling back to Townsville so that we didn't have to take any risks with moving it and we could have that continuity of care with our same care team from up here. The way that it all ended up working in the end was our clinic in Townsville actually had a sister clinic in Toowoomba. And so we were actually able to quite easily work out that I could do phone or Zoom type appointments with the Townsville Clinic, then do face-to-face things such as blood tests with the Toowoomba Clinic, and then just travel up purely for an ultrasound to make sure my body was ready, and then the actual embryo transfer. And we luckily had friends posted to Townsville who were able to very kindly offered us accommodation at their house and the loan of one of their cars, which minimised some of those costs as well and logistics. So in the end, it actually worked out cheaper and easier to travel back to Townsville than to move everything back to Toowoomba. What are the chances of having a sister clinic so that you can have that consistency of care? That's that's basically unheard of, especially in the two locations that you were coming from and then going to. Yeah, we were very lucky in that regard because we chose to go through Queensland Fertility Groups, quite a large network. Yeah, we're just very fortunate that they were in both locations. And I guess the other part of that is that they were willing to work together. Some clinics will want all of your business or none of it, but we were very fortunate that they were willing to work together for us to make it possible for us. Moving that last embryo to Toowoomba, we could have had the risk if something had happened in transport, we wouldn't have had another chance. That was our one and only. So we felt better and more confident to travel here, use it here. And like I mentioned, having that continuity of care with our same doctor, our same nurses, finishing that journey in the same location that we started it all those years before. Yeah, for sure. And I know that everyone's probably waiting with bated breath to hear what happened. But first, before we get to that, how did you go settling into your new location? And did you connect in with support? Like how did that work for you? Because that was the first time you were then posting with a little one and having that different experience of, you know, handling all that comes with moving, but now with a little one on the way and then planning to come back and forth for the next round of the embryo transfer. How did settling into Toowoomba go? Back in Toowoomba was quite a smooth transition. We had many very excited friends and family waiting for us to be back. And as I mentioned, we were halfway through the pregnancy. So there was a lot of really positive, happy things to come. And we were very happy. And the timing was perfect to move back there and have that time to settle in before she arrived. And then once Margot was born, like I mentioned, we had lots of friends and family around us or within a short distance of us to give us support. And that just made Toowoomba a really happy posting. And the Defence family's house there where I was able to take her for music classes and little play groups and family-friendly events, which in our previous Townsville uh, posting, I wasn't really able to participate in as freely, not having children yet, but being able to actually dive into that family support and other mums and kids was something I hadn't experienced before, but it was something that was really positive for us. We're talking 2019. 
pre-COVID, that time when we didn't even know that COVID existed, then not long after COVID hit and, you know, lockdowns, isolation, what did that all mean for you in your location and how did you experience COVID? We were very fortunate that our trip back up to Townsville for IVF was literally weeks before COVID hit and all elective surgeries cancelled and a lot of things changed and were up in the air. So we were very fortunate to get that trip in before all of that, which meant, you know, I didn't have any worries about travelling on a plane. We didn't have any issues with masks and testing and things or treatment being cancelled. So we were very fortunate to get all of that sorted right before that all started. In terms of COVID for us, we were fortunate being in Queensland. I felt very protected from a lot of that, to be honest. We were very fortunate. We might have had maybe one weekend of lockdown and most of us didn't even really know what that was even about or how that worked. So we were very fortunate. I did, however, lose my job. So I guess personally, the the casual job I was doing in order to have that little bit of extra income to pay for our obstetric care and work my way towards the paid parental leave through Centrelink, I did lose that job and therefore lost eligibility for any of those payments, which financially did present a hit for us. However, we, you know, as we always do, we we managed a way through that and we were fine. For us, that did mean loss of job and loss of income, which presents its own challenges. Everyone's waiting to hear what happened with the embryo transfer. And that, as you mentioned, that was your last frozen embryo. And after that, you weren't going to go forward with any further IVF cycles. So what happened with the transfer? How did it go? Did we get a baby out of it? What happened? We did get a baby out of it. So two weeks after our transfer, when we had our blood test that came back as positive and had good HCG numbers. And then I went on to have a a relatively normal pregnancy, had, you know, its own issues with gestational diabetes and things like that. But all in all, it was a very happy pregnancy and for me. And we had a beautiful little girl born at the end of 2020 in November. Amazing. And your husband ended up being away when you found out your IVF round was successful and your embryo transfer was successful and that you were then pregnant the first time around. What happened with your husband being around for the next time? Was he around? Did he get to experience it? What was the situation? Yeah, so we were very fortunate that this time it worked out that he could be around and involved in all of that. So he travelled up to Townsville a little bit after me. So he was there for the embryo transfer. And then his role in Toowoomba allowed him, as I mentioned, to be home every day, even if it was a night shift instead of a day shift. He was still home every day in some capacity and he could come to obstetric appointments and be with me through all of that and and be part of all that from the get-go this time, which was lovely. Do you think it made a difference with him being able to actually be there instead of just hearing about it over the phone or being told about different things over the phone? Like what sort of difference did that make for him? Um, I think it was just nice just to be around. Like obviously in those early weeks, you know, you're having a, a big wait in between a blood test and then a scan and then a scan and the next scan. So it can sort of feel a little bit surreal in those early days, whether you're there or not. But I think it was just nice to be around, to be involved and to just be part of it, just be around and get to experience all that with me. Because we both knew that would be my last pregnancy, regardless of the outcome. And it was just special to have that together. And so amazing that it worked out that you then went on to have another little girl and 
with that one last last embryo it's just amazing that it all worked out and who knows what would have happened if you had have transferred it up to your location and just knowing that was the right decision for you guys and it all worked out in the end is just amazing yeah it took like it was a lot of logistics it was a few months of back and forth with clinics and doing the math of you know this expense versus this expense and this risk versus this risk and there's no guarantees even at the level of intervention that IVF is. So we could have travelled up, it could have all gone to plan and then for whatever reason it didn't work. But we were just very um, fortunate that it did work and that we could round out that experience all within the same care team here in Townsville. And as I mentioned, have our army friends support us to do that by helping us out during our trip up here too. So we're just very fortunate the way that it worked out for us and that we got another beautiful little girl and our family's now complete. So beautiful. And like we've just mentioned, after you transferred your last embryo, whether it was successful or not, it was going to be the end of your IVF journey, but it wasn't, was it? Like what happened after that? Yeah. So because I just love to add lots of extra things to my plate, around the time when Stella was about five months old, I was still reflecting on our IVF experience because anyone who's been through it will know that it's not something that you just finish and forget. It is something that stays with you because there is a lot of grief, loss, heartache, stress, etc. And I was reflecting that even though my experience had finished and I had completed my family, there were still so many people out there who were still going through what we had been through, some with more challenges than what we faced. And I started to think about how I could support others and how I could have my experience help others and not be for nothing. Not that it was, because obviously I have my girls, but just a way for it to mean something more. So then I started to consider, I first considered surrogacy and then very quickly realized that was a lot more than I could commit and offer to another woman or another couple, which led me to egg donation. So even though I had done IVF myself, my eggs were still okay to donate to others as our IVF was for other reasons, not due to poor egg quality. So I started to do my research and came across the Egg Donation Australia website and forums and Facebook pages and just started reading and asking questions and seeing what exactly it involved. And it became apparent very quickly just how much of a need there is for egg donors in Australia and that all the lengths that these women and couples have had to go through to get to the point of needing an egg donor just it it broke my heart and it just blew my mind away so I started to look into that more seriously and obviously talk to Rob about it as your partners need to be on board for that and I came to the conclusion that that was something that I wanted to do and it was something that I could offer to other people to help them through their experience because obviously they had reached a point where they were no longer able to try to conceive or to conceive with their own egg and this was something that I could do to help them. IVF for me isn't a scary or an unknown thing. It was something that I was confident to do again and felt my body was okay to do again and that's what led me to start looking into egg donation and to go on to become an egg donor. How amazing of you to do that after your own journey and and to give that gift to someone else. Once you had decided to go forward with doing that, what sort of happens? Do you know who gets the eggs? Like, do they just go to a clinic and people have access to being able to use your eggs? Like, how does it work? 
There's a few different ways to do it. You can either be an anonymous donor, which is where you would approach a fertility clinic and you would donate your eggs to the clinic to be stored in an egg bank. And then basically it's up to then the clinic to match to uh, recipients, which is what the people who receive the eggs are called or intended parents. And you don't have any communication with those people. You don't get to pick those people. The clinic does the matching for you. And you, as a donor, then have access to generic information such as if a child is born and their gender, but that's sort of where your link finishes until such time as a child conceived via your eggs may choose to contact you later, depending on the rules within each state in terms of that. Then the other way to do it is to be a known donor and what research has proven is a far healthier and better outcome for children conceived through donations as they then have access to their donor, to much more information about their donor, who they are as a person, any medical information and things like that. So that if those children have questions or even if there are medical needs and things later on, that there is access to that information, as well as just the general principle of knowing where you've come from and what your genetics are, which is extremely important for your sense of self, your identity, and things like that. So I chose to go down the known donor route because the research showed me that that's what was best for the donor-conceived children. And the way that that progressed for me was to join their forums where I could read the ads from people who were looking for eggs and then I basically get to read those and then you can reach out and start discussions with people who you might have clicked with so they put up information about them their experience what they're looking for and you then as a donor have a, the opportunity to reach out to those you connect with then it just goes from there have you found any couples or those wanting to make use of your donated eggs that match with you and that gel with you and have they gone on to access those eggs? How has it worked? So I first connected to a couple from Sydney and again, the, I mean, the logistics is, is often the same as going through IVF in terms of needing referrals, tests, etc. And that's after you find someone and connect with them and offer. So I connected first with a couple from Sydney. I won't go into their story just for their privacy, but I connected with them. I offered to donate to them after getting to know them and having a real genuine connection with them. And then we began the logistics of how we would make that work, being in different states. And also with our upcoming posting to Townsville at the time, I needed to think about what can I do in Toowoomba versus what should I wait to do in Townsville. And the outcome in the end was we decided to cycle through Townsville again. So same clinic that I've done my own IVF with, the same nurses and care team again. I feel, felt like they knew me, they knew my body and I trusted them and the clinic and my recipients were happy to travel to Townsville for that. So I think we did a little bit of that same logistics with my own IVF of doing some initial blood tests and things through the Toowoomba clinic. And then very shortly after posting up here to Townsville, I had my egg retrieval for them and I was able to give them 17 eggs. Oh my gosh, 17 eggs. That's a lot, right? That is quite a lot, yes. 
Now from, again, with IVF, there's no guarantees. And while 17 sounds like a lot, that's just on day one and that's what they retrieve from me. There's obviously a lot of other factors such as how many of those eggs actually fertilise with the male recipient sperm, how many go on to continue to divide and develop over the coming days until you reach the day five point, which is when they make decisions about how many able to be frozen, how many are able to be used fresh on that day, depending on what the recipients choose to do with their care. So by the time we had got to day five, we were down to three embryos. So that means that from that 17, we were down to three that had successfully fertilized and continued to divide and were strong enough to freeze. My recipients then chose to do genetic testing on those embryos. Obviously, after spending that amount of time and money and effort, they wanted to give themselves the very best possible chance of this being successful. So the embryos travelled from Townsville to Brisbane, where they were thawed out and had their cells biopsy. They were then refrozen and then flown to the recipient's clinic in Sydney, awaiting those test results and for the recipients to use those as they saw fit. Through their testing process, they actually lost two of those embryos. One of them came back as being abnormal, so that embryo would not have resulted in pregnancy, or if it did, it most likely would have resulted in a miscarriage and not a live birth. And then their third embryo actually wasn't strong enough to survive the thaw to end up having the cells taken. So they actually ended up with one after all that, after all those logistics, after all that time, one embryo, which they transferred a couple of months later when her body was in the best position to go through that. But sadly, that did not result in pregnancy. So Oh, that's where wow. that's oh. ended for them yeah but the fact that the there's just a technology that exists that embryos are being flown from here to there to make sure that everything is going okay and just just the fact that you're able to donate and it's just amazing but like you know it, it only takes one like it does and my role as a donor I can't give anyone guarantees I can't promise anything all I can do is follow my medication protocol and look after my body and what happens after the eggs come out of my body I don't have control over in terms of success so I offer recipients hope and I offer them an opportunity that they wouldn't have without me and the other pieces of the puzzle come from all those different areas but sadly there isn't a guarantee but at least they have the opportunity to try and they have that hope and that knowledge that they're doing all they can to start or to grow their family. How many times do you think that you will do that? Like, have you decided how many times you'll donate your eggs into how many different couples or individuals? Like, what is your thinking around that? I went into it with quite an open mind and basically the view that as long as my body was coping okay, and as long as I felt that I had something to offer that I would continue. So I'm actually just about to do my second donation for a different couple. This couple is from Melbourne. They are also traveling up to Townsville. So I've been very fortunate that the people that I have connected with have been willing to go to such lengths to be here to support me and work in with what works for me and my family. And so I'm a couple of days away from doing my second donation to a different couple. Oh my gosh, that is just amazing. Like, I just can't believe it. Wow. And before your IVF journey, you were diagnosed with PCOS. So could you have even thought that you would go on to have some IVF rounds and have your own babies from that, but then also possibly be able to help other couples to be able to have their own babies? 
Yeah, it's certainly something that without having done IVF myself, I wouldn't have even thought of egg donation. It's not something that unless people talk about it or they go through it, a lot of people know nothing about IVF and would know even less about egg donation. So it's certainly not something that I had thought about previously, but it was just from my desire to help others struggling the way that I was and for what I had gone through to have my girls to not have been, you know, just for my own selfish reasons, if I can use that to to help others and give them that little bit of hope and help them potentially end their own experience and end that heartache to me is is something that's so worthwhile and something I felt like if I was in a position to do that, I should. And it's been a, a really good experience and something I'm really proud to have done and be doing, even if it hasn't resulted in any children yet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It gives me goosebumps. Nine out of 10 defense spouses wish they found out about Defense Bank sooner. Okay, I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning and currently has a rating of 4.8 out of 5 in both the app and Google Play Store. It does everything a big bank app does with cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, pin change functionality, savings roundup, spend tracker, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a Defence Bank branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. And with many of their branch staff a Defence Spouse or Partner, you'll be talking to someone who just gets it. Banking as a Defence Spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. Paint a picture of what life is like for you now with the kids and defence life and had a couple of postings, work and life in general. Like what's happening for you aside from donating eggs and running around after a couple of kids and managing all that comes with life? Life is certainly very different from three years ago. So we have the two girls who are about to turn two and four. Their birthdays ended up um, being three days apart. That's just the way that the IVF worked out that we did our transfers exactly two years apart. So I have, yeah, two little girls, very busy, very cheeky, but life is also very happy. In terms of my own work, so I was working in the foster care side of child protection prior to having the girls. I've been very fortunate to have these few years with them whilst also doing a little bit of casual work here and there as well. And as we posted back up to Townsville, I started to think about what my next step would be in terms of returning to work, as that's something that once the girls are of an age where they're very settled in daycare or kindergarten is something that I do want to return to and give myself fully to. And I quickly became aware that returning to my previous type of work just wasn't going to be the right fit anymore. It wasn't what I wanted to do for a career moving forward. And it also involved longer hours, outside hours, support for carers and children. And that wasn't something that I felt was really conducive with two young children and defence life in terms of Rob potentially being on night shift or being away and just too much to juggle. So I had to sort of reflect on what was going to work for me, what was going to work with the kids, what was going to work with moving around. I didn't want to keep jumping from random job to random job. It was coming back to being my time to do some more things for me. So I actually started to think about jobs that would work regardless of where we were living, regardless of things like that, all the defence life logistics, whether Rob's here or not. And I actually came around to looking into studying floristry, which is something that I did as work experience when I was younger. 
and then I'd gone off to have my professional career. And the more I thought about it, the more I realised it was very flexible in terms of work type. I could be casual, part-time, full-time freelancer. It's something I could do from home. I could do markets on weekends. I could work for someone else. I could open my own business. And it just, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that it is something that would give me that creativity, that real joy, a lot less stress than the case management and assessment work I was doing before. And most importantly, would work around the girls in terms of daycare, school hours and things like that. I found, again, this is just happens to work very well. There was a floristry school that is in both Toowoomba and in Townsville. So I knew that even if we posted to Townsville and I started there, if something changed and we moved back to Toowoomba again, I would still have that continuity with my study. And then I also heard about the scholarships offered through RSL Queensland. And when I looked into them, they are there to support defence partners, as well as other people connected to defence to complete study in order to support defence life and work around that. So I was able to pretty easily and clearly make my case for studying floristry with its flexibility and things like that. And also able to explain why my previous role wasn't as conducive as floristry. And I was very fortunate to receive a scholarship, which is helping with my fees. And at the moment, I also have that on my plate, studying floristry. And I'm also looking for work in that sector to complement that. And when I finish mid next year as a qualified florist, hopefully I'll be able to either find work with someone else or look into some of those other at home or freelance options. Oh my goodness. I'm just so happy for you. Good things happen to good people. Like you are (laughs) clearly a caring person, have been in caring roles with your previous work, then all that you're doing for other families with your egg donations. And then to be able to Go back to something that you're passionate about. Like you mentioned, you sort of did that and then you went on to your, in air quotes, professional career because I guess maybe it was a clearer path or whatever the case, but coming back to your passion, but being able to be supported through a grant and RSL Queensland to be able to do that and it just working out that the floristry school is in both locations, like it's just amazing. Yeah, of all the... The downsides of the moving around, we've been very fortunate that the the services or supports that we've needed have been in our two most likely locations. Um, You know, some things just just fall into place and I'm not a big fan of the I'm meant to be, but I think if you you look, there are ways to, to make this life work for you. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to choose, it doesn't have to be one or the other. There are plenty of sacrifices, but there are ways to still achieve what you want whilst equally supporting your defence member to do what they want to do and what they need to do as well. In your original episode, you mentioned that you were accessing open arms and you and your husband together also access open arms. How are you looking after your mental health now? And are you still going to open arms? Have you still accessed that sort of support or have you accessed anything else? I continue to access open arms and we continue to access open arms together as well. It's something that I feel that we're very fortunate to have access to. It's something that if you were to pay privately, it might be something that is is simply just out of your budget or logistically, you know, you might not be able to, to make work. So I feel very fortunate that we have access to that. And obviously mental health is something that is extremely important but that defence life does add some rather unique strains too. So I continue to have my individual sessions and I've been very fortunate that I 
even throughout COVID, there's that great flexibility of doing them via Zoom when, you know, we weren't allowed to be face-to-face or going in and, you know, having a session while wearing a mask or having a session now completely back to normal. So there's been that real flexibility, which has meant that I haven't had to sacrifice that. I did finish up with my clinician in Toowoomba and have found an equally great clinician here in Townsville. However, the clinician that Rob and I were seeing in Toowoomba is willing and able to continue to see us, but now through Zoom. So we continue to see him because he knows our history. We have that great relationship with him. He's happy to support us in that way. Your husband had an unexpected deployment. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So of course, all good plans always come unraveled when defence is involved. So I was in, uh, I would have been somewhere in those last two months of Stella's pregnancy. Stella's my two-year-old that was born November, 2020. Rob came home one day and said, oh, there's this deployment opportunity. I would have to leave in January, 2021. I'd be gone for six months. I probably won't get it, but can I throw my hat in the ring for it? I was heavily pregnant and he was making it sound like it probably won't happen. So I was like, yep, you know, that's fine. Chances of you getting it are probably quite slim and it's a good opportunity. It would be good for you, good for your career. Obviously, there's financial benefits. So let's just put your hat in the ring and we'll see what happens. And then a few short weeks later, we found out that it was going ahead and that he would be deploying eight weeks after Stella's birth. Oh my gosh. So you're like, oh yeah, it'll be fine. It's not going to work out anyway. And then you're like, oh, he got it. Yeah. So we weren't expecting it, but it was something that we had at least discussed seriously enough that if it did happen, it wouldn't be something we would pull the pin on. We would figure it out as we always do. So then for, you know, that first eight weeks of Stella's life, I was not only recovering from birth and we were trying to figure out newborn life again and the logistics of a two-year-old and a newborn, but we also had that background knowledge that Rob's time with Stella was quite limited before he would leave. Given that it wasn't a standard deployment of a whole regiment going together, it was actually just individual members from around the country, there wasn't quite the smooth administration that sometimes happens when there's at least a group of people in the same location. So there was a lot of disjointed administration trying to get passports done and communicate with the unit overseas, with the time difference, getting information. It was quite chaotic and did put that extra pressure on us at a time where obviously we had enough going on. Oh, wow. So how long did he end up being away for and how did it actually go while he was deployed? And for you, like managing everything at home and dealing with a newborn and like you said, a toddler? I won't lie, it wasn't it wasn't easy, but as I said, it was a decision that we did make together and we weighed up pros and cons and risks and, and it was the right decision for us at that time. I was happy to support him. I knew it would be good for his career for us in terms of finances and I was fortunate to be in a posting location where I did have my friends and family around, so we were willing to, to do that and experience that. He left in January of 2021 and he returned in August of 2021. So when Stella was eight weeks old, he left and then she was nine months old when he returned. So that was a big chunk of her life for him to not be physically around for. You do the best you can in terms of messages and photos, emails, video calls, but a newborn and a two-year-old don't really understand that. Obviously, they tell us with their behaviours, which um, aren't always the easiest to manage in general, let alone on your own. 
as soon as we found out that Rob was leaving, I immediately thought, what can I put in around myself to make sure that this is going to be as easy as it can be? So straight away, I organized a cleaner because I knew that that was just going to be one thing that I would struggle to do in addition to caring for the girls. We organized someone to regularly come and do the lawn and someone to regularly come and walk and wash the dog, just so that those things that I knew needed to happen could happen without me needing to juggle kids and nap times and things like that. So straight away, I put those supports in for myself. And thank goodness I did because they really made the world of difference. And it was just less things that I had to worry about on top of everything else. I was also very fortunate to have a friend. She committed to coming over once a week. She would bring dinner. So she would come bring dinner, stay for dinner. Then she would help me bath the kids, clean up after dinner. So that that was just one night every week where I didn't have to cook, I didn't have to wash up and I could have a break from some of those daily kid tasks and just, you know, have a little bit of a chill out. That was good for me um, as well. A friend also had a teenage daughter who used to come down two afternoons after school just to play with my two-year-old. So I knew that she was getting some uninterrupted, fun, one-on-one time. The things that I found difficult to do, you know, if she wanted to be outside, but the baby was sleeping inside or she wanted to do water play, but that was a bit hard to manage as well as having a newborn as well. So I knew that she would get those fun, normal things that she enjoyed regardless of our circumstances of me solo parenting and having a newborn. And also just pulled in other supports for things like my daughter's gymnastics. She was able to continue to do that. And I had my mum come and do the class with her because I would be sitting with Stella with the pram. So again, it was just about pulling in those supports to make life as easy as it could be for me. And that was really important for my mental health and just the physical coping of doing all that on my own. Forward planning and looking at your capacity And having that acceptance before you get to that maximum capacity to be able to put those supports in place beforehand, knowing that that is going to help you in the long run, as opposed to waiting until you need those supports. Definitely. And I'm certainly guilty of getting to breaking point before I would reach out and ask for help. And I was determined not to do that this time because it wasn't just me. I had two little people who I also needed to consider. And I got to the point of accepting that whilst sometimes as mums and as partners, we think we should just be able to do everything. Like I was guilty of having the thought of, well, single mums do this every day, so I should be able to do it. But everyone has their own circumstances and it does take time, but I had accepted that it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to make things easier If you can, there are days where you do have to do everything on your own and they are tough and they are long, but there are also days where there are services you can use, supports you can use and people you can call on to make things easier. And if things can be easier, then why struggle? Thank you so much, Leah, for coming back on the podcast and giving us an update. It's so amazing to hear how everything's going for you and where you're heading in the future with your floristry and and all that's happening for you with the kids and life and helping other families with egg donation. Yeah, life certainly is busy and it certainly has changed a lot. And like I said, Defence throws its own unique challenges our way, but this is my story and those are the things that have helped me and I hope that other people can take something away from it or it might just help them go, oh, that's exactly how I feel. I'm not alone. 
it's normal and we'll get there. I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarylife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 